chicory coffee, day drinking while playing Battleship, and why no one wants a gift of beignet mix. This week, it's more of New Orleans. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is where we explore the world's great food and drink. And this week, we're back in New Orleans with Michelle Michon. But first, if you like Destination Eat Drink, and if you like food and travel, consider making a contribution to the cause. It's easy to do, and I greatly appreciate it. Just go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the Contribute button. Last week, we spoke to Michelle Michon from Bone Moment Tours in New Orleans. And if you want to hear that interesting conversation about cocktails and music and Frenchman Street in the Garden District, you can get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED242 or go to destinationeatdrink.com and click on the podcast tab. This week, Michelle and I talk about beignets, including ones with all kinds of fillings. We also talk about some other great culinary staples in New Orleans, like the mufalata and eggplant Napoleon. Plus, we talk about the Italian-American heritage in New Orleans and wade into the sauce versus gravy debate. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Well, Michelle from Bone Moment Tours, thank you so much for being back on Destination Eat Drink. It's great to talk to you. Last week, we talked about Frenchman Street, and we talked a little bit about Bourbon Street and a lot of other great places you should go in places like Treme. And there was so much more to talk about. I said, please, please come back. You said yes. So welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for a mid-sized city, we got a lot going on. I do want to ask you about beignets, and I know you know we're not we're not going to talk about uh, Cafe du Monde here, but sure. I think you guys you you get a, you do a beignet stop in the Garden District tour, I believe, and I've got a favorite beignet place that I love to go to when when I used to go to New Orleans. So um, let's talk a little bit about beignets. First of all, for folks who don't know, I think a lot of people do know what they are, but give us a quick primer as to what they are and then talk about uh, what makes a good beignet and opposed to a, a poor beignet. I love talking about the history of beignets because it talks about black history in New Orleans alongside the French, the Creole. So the Creole, the word Creole literally just means the descendant of a French colonist. But in New Orleans, that means the French who were having babies with the Spanish, who were having babies with the indigenous population, who were having babies with the free people of color. The Spanish had a law that you could buy yourself out of slavery. And so we had a huge free people of color population, the Jeans de Corps leave. So we have um, all those folks making sort of a melting pot of culture and, and um, uh, their society together. And so the French introduced the, the beignet as a dessert item to eat alongside your cafe au lait after dinner. So you have your coffee with milk after dinner, and then there's this little fried piece of dough with, um, with cinnamon, uh, gosh, with uh, powdered sugar. And so the women who are working in the houses, black slave women who are working in houses, um, are going down to the French market in the morning to do their shopping every morning, and they're taking, they start realizing, hey, there's all these guys that work on the river doing heavy lifting, 
and they don't really have a breakfast food for them. They want something quick and easy to eat and that's sweet and, you know, oily and full of calories that just gets them a little kickstart with their coffee. And so they start bringing out beignets to sell to the guys along the river. And that's how it kind of becomes like a donut. The first donut, the breakfast food, um, is, is the beignet. Uh, that's how it ends up being like in the morning instead of after dinner. So next thing you know, the women that own the house get word that the slave women are selling these on the river and making a little bit of money. And there's also, of course, like three women of color doing this. So Rosemary Coe is the first black female that owned a business in New Orleans. And she opened a coffee stall. She was a free woman of color who had made all her money selling beignets and coffee and cafe au lait on the river and opened her coffee stall in the French market, which is the oldest open air market in the country. Um, so they start rationing, the women of the house start rationing flour on these women. So they don't have them, they don't make any extra money. So the women that um, were, the slave women were very smart and they start saving up the rice from the serving dishes the night before from dinner that nobody's paying attention to. And they start turning a dough into the, uh, turning that rice into a dough. So they save up the old rice and they put a little bit of flour in it and they, they um, proof it with a little bit of, with the yeast and everything else. But you're using rice that nobody's keeping track of. And you make this dough and sell it and fry it alongside your beignets that you're allowed to sell. And you say, oh, maybe, I, maybe I'm out of beignets today, but I've got these kalas. And so that's the name of it is kala, uh, like the sort of like the lily, but spelled differently. Um, C-A-L-A-S. Uh, maybe it's two L's. I'm sorry. It's the opposite of whatever the lily is. But um, anyhow, it's a little fried rice dough treat that served alongside the beignets for a while. Has it a, has a way for these women to sort of subvert around the rules that they were given <laughs> about making money. So collars are not as found anymore. You can actually get them. Usually, I think at Jewel of the South still sells them. But um, back to beignets. So the beignets, you know, thanks to, uh, what was the Disney movie? The, the Princess and the Frog, everybody kind of got obsessed with beignets. And so all of a sudden, Café du Monde is packed. And um, so you mentioned Café du Monde. Everybody kind of knows about Café du Monde. But there's beignets sold outside of Café du Monde. <laughs> So you do go there, and there's also there is a there is a secret there is a cash line at Cafe Du Monde. So look for the cash line; it's shorter. But there's other places to go to get beignets. In the French Market, there is Miss Loretta's. So if you're staying in the quarter and you want to get them in the French Quarter, there's Miss Loretta's in the French Market. She does a praline-filled beignet, or her her children do. Oh, wow. uh, the Cafe Beignet. There's a few Cafe Beignet locations in the quarter. I think the one on Bourbon Street is my favorite. It has a little courtyard. It has jazz. It's called Legends Park. Um, it has live music and it's very relaxing. I'd always go to the one on Roy Royal Street. That's uh, Cafe Beignet. On Royal, Beignet. yeah, that's the other favorite. I but love Cafe that Beignet, place. I believe there's like two more locations now that I haven't been to. But yeah, the Royal Street one and the, the Bourbon Street one are also very, are very popular. But they're getting more and more popular because people are getting sick of standing in line at Cafe Du Monde. So if you are willing to venture out into the Garden District, um, there's a place called The Vintage that does filled beignets. Um, I'm not afraid of people not taking my tour because once you've had the vintage, you don't, you can, I see people in there all the time that were on my tour the day before. So <laughs> they do filled beignets. They have a s'mores beignet. They have a matcha green tea pudding beignet. They have a raspberry beignet and they usually have a, uh, a seasonal beignet. And it is a coffee shop in like the traditional coffee shop way. Like it is a gathering place for the neighborhood. You can go there and do work, but, you know, your work day might get cut short because you might see somebody you know who you start talking to, and next thing you know, you're not doing work anymore. So it is very much an old-school feel coffee shop where you just, like, go and hang out and take away time, which is kind of what coffee shops started has where people did business in the French, like, uh, in the business district. Like, that's how our cocktails, that's how our bars came to be. Our cocktail hour came to be was because people got sick of drinking coffee all day and doing business in the coffee shop. 
shaking hands and signing papers and changing money. And then around four o'clock or so, they want a drink. And so they started drinking, you know, sherries and, uh, you know, wine was really hard to get here because we have it's too hot. Uh, so we can't store it very well. So people started drinking cognacs and fortified wines and brandies and stuff like that. Well, somebody had the idea to put whiskey, water, and sugar together and make make cocktails. And that became known as the old-fashioned because you would have somebody come in and say, I, can I just get an old-fashioned cocktail? I don't need one of these new highfalutin cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like an old-fashioned cocktail. And that was that's how it gets the name. Um, but, yeah, so coffee shop. So the vintage also has a bar. So you, it has a wine, it has cocktails, it has frozen drinks that are like ni- nicer daiquiris. Um, so yeah, take, spend an afternoon shopping on magazine and then relax and drink and eat at the vintage right before you head back. Um, there's also a black owned business called Stuffed, S-T-U-P-H apostrophe D. They're on St. Claude. And I think they, they opened not that long ago, right after the pandemic. And, uh, I, I've heard that they're really good, but they do filled sort of like savory beignets too. So they might be worth um, if you're in the Bywater neighborhood, they might be worth checking out. You mentioned uh, Cafe Olay, and this would be a great thing to have with our beignet, but um, can you describe what a Cafe Olay is and maybe talk about that a little bit? Sure. It's super simple. It's uh, A Cafe Olay in New Orleans means it's chicory coffee with milk. It just means coffee and milk in French. Um, but chicory coffee specifically in New Orleans is the recipe, um, and it's served with hot milk. So not just adding milk to your coffee. So I grew up with chicory coffee in the 90s, going to coffee shops and and wasting time with my friends. And then I went to college in Philadelphia and had drip coffee for the first time that wasn't chicory. And it was very bland to me. (laughs) I didn't understand why. Chicory is basically a a, a root um, of a flowering swamp shrub. So I know chicory, if you're listening in, in any of the European countries, chicory means to you a different thing than it means to us. Chicory, uh, it's endive. It's a, it's a lettuce, but that's not the chicory I'm talking about. The chicory I'm talking about is a swamp shrub with purple flowers that the uh, the root is used as a bitterant, so it's used as a digestive. Um, the Mormons, apparently, I also found this out from one of my guests on the tour, is that Mormons drink it instead of coffee because they're not allowed to have coffee, I guess. So it's a bitterant. It's pretty terrible on its own, <laughs> but the way that it gets introduced into New Orleans um, is that during the Napoleonic Wars, when coffee was rationed, uh, they started figuring out ways to stretch their coffee ration and adding right. chicory to the coffee. And so it's a, it, because it's bitter, it just rounds out and enhances the flavor of coffee. Well, now, and that happens again during the Great Depression. It becomes popular again. Um, but it, it basically just makes the coffee taste bolder without adding more caffeine to it. So you feel like you're drinking a really strong coffee. Um, but it just it it just has this like bitterant that's added to it that enhances it. So um, yeah, if you've never and if you really like chicory coffee, um, one of my favorite chicory coffee uh, pounds to pick up for people like traveling is a uh, French truck, which is the yellow bag. They're kind of a newer roaster. It's only been around a few years. Um, they're they're newer than most more of the traditional roasters, but you can find them in the grocery store. And honestly, I think their coffee um, them and there's a place. Uh, called Mojo, M-O-J-O, that also roasts their own coffee here in the city. Um, pick up a pound from either Mojo Coffee or French Truck, um, and you're supporting a local, a small local business that roasts their own coffee, and it's really good coffee. So that's a great souvenir for people. Great advice, and I love the story about the origin of Cafe Olay, and I love, love, love the story about beignets. I mean, 
I was just thinking, how can I hop on a plane and get to New Orleans and get a beignet and a yeah, beignets unfortunately are not. They're not <laughs> something. I, I will say, and we're speaking of uh, speaking of souvenirs. Grabbing a box of Cafe Du Monde beignet mix for somebody is a terrible gift because nobody likes to deep fry in their house um, <laughs> unless they have a fry daddy. But deep frying, like there are so many, there's more boxes on shelves in the back of cabinets collecting dust of beignet mix in the world than I think there is actually in Cafe Du Monde. Um, they just, <laughs> they, beignets do not keep well, you know, you can try, you can, if you're a baker or a fryer and like it really appeals to you, but other than that, don't buy that for somebody. That's a rude present. <laughs> and and don't bring a bag on the plane either. Uh, you know, no, they get it's it's fried. It's you know it's fried. They're only it's got to be hot. hot out of the out of the fryer man. Yeah, maybe that's the beauty of it. That's why people like it because you can only have it really here. Right. You know, right. it's it's a it's a. Commodity. It's got an expiration date on it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, you just can get it here and then you have to have it as a memory. One more neighborhood I want to talk about, Michelle, is the uh, Bywater neighborhood, which is a neighborhood I personally am not familiar with. So um, educate the audience and educate me about this place. Sure. Uh, yeah, we do, I do a tour. I keep saying we. It's just me. Uh, my mom is just me. Uh, I do a tour in the Bywater neighborhood because when I moved back after a stint away from New Orleans, um, people were like, you should move back to, you should move to the Bywater. And I had lived in the Bywater before Katrina. And I was like, ah, it's, you know, it's not for me anymore. Like, it's not, I, I want to try to live uptown. Uh, and when I moved back, I realized that the Bywater had suddenly gentrified into, after Katrina, into a place that I didn't really recognize. It had been a working class neighborhood. It was originally German. Uh, and then very soon thereafter, it was German and free people of color and Italians and Irish and everybody else that lived and worked on the river. Um, and it was always a working class neighborhood. But in the 70s, I believe it became it, sometime in the, in, the, in the 20th century, it became it became an artist sort of neighborhood. Uh, basically, a lot of these warehouses that weren't used anymore make for great uh, make for great artist law that are for like building and constructing. Uh, so if you're an artist that makes furniture or welds or does glass or ceramics, you need a lot of space. And so that's why these neighborhoods that end up gentrifying kind of start in these like, you know, industrial sort of spaces is because these old warehouses make, that are dangerous sometimes to be in and live in and work in, they make for great uh, studios. And so um, that's kind of what the Bywater was when I lived there. And when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, that's what the Bywater was known for. There's Dr. Bob, who's the famous paint art, uh, sign artist who does the Be Nice or Leave signs that you might see all over bars in the French Quarter. Um, he still has his studio in, in the Bywater, but he's been around for a long time. And then there's a lot of other little sort of co-ops and art spaces. But um, because of that, after Katrina and because uh, of development, it became a sort of the hipster neighborhood. Um, that said, it is still a really cool neighborhood to visit. You just need to navigate it a little more carefully than you would walking through the French Quarter. It is a neighborhood where people live um, and not necessarily a neighborhood that's built for tourism. So you just need to be conscientious of that um, when you're walking around. Maybe just like make a plan before you walk there and just don't plan on just like strolling around because it's patchy just like all of New Orleans. It's very block to block. So um, before uh, Katrina, uh, you had you know, some pretty limited spots that were really popular with neighborhood people. And then it's kind of remained that way after, but they've grown in the number of spots. So some of the, um, so let's see. So the easiest way to navigate it is there's Charter Street that runs from the quarter alongside the river 
on one end of Bywater along parallel to the river. And on the other side, St. Claude kind of delineates the neighborhood between like where you really can walk <laughs> as not a local and where you shouldn't. Uh, so really stay between St. Claude and the river just for your own safety. There's also more to do on St. Claude. Uh, there's a lot of bars. There's a lot, of, especially if you're into like, like queer and drag and uh, punk and rock and worldly, like global music. That's like a, uh, fun, funky bands. Like St. Claude is kind of becoming the new Frenchman. Um, but yeah, if you're into like more sort of subversive, weird, fun stuff like burlesque shows and things like that, St. Claude is a really cool spot. Um, as far as in the neighborhoods around Bywater, uh, there's a lot of like local dive bars. So if you come across a dive bar and you look in and people look like they've been in there since noon, you're probably in a good bar. Uh, just sit in the bar, have a couple of drinks, let the person next to you buy them beer. You'll get some great stories out of it. So the neighborhood is, what I loved about that neighborhood was like, the neighbors are very friendly and you learn, you just, you hear a lot of stories. You learn a lot about New Orleans from just talking to the guy next to you on a bar stool or the woman next to you on a bar stool or the, the they next to you on a bar stool. Cause again, it's the bywater. So they might be a drag queen sitting next to you ready to talk your ear off. Um, so some of my food places in the bywater, here, here goes my list. Uh, there's barbecue at the joint, which is a really great casual set. Now, I also, let me backtrack and say, because it is the Bywater and not the French Quarter and not the Garden District, some of these hours, <laughs> like if the guy that doesn't have the keys to the door doesn't show up, they might not open. You just got to roll with the punches. If you're the kind of traveler that enjoys just the experience of walking around and tumbling into places, you're going to love Bywater. But if you're the kind of person that has like things really regulated, it's going to be difficult for you to enjoy that neighborhood. Um, so there's the joint, which is barbecue. There's Freddy's, which just was on the Netflix series Street Food. They're a great, um, they're a great po' boy stop. They're a corner store owned by a brother or sister, uh, and they have amazing roast beef. All their po' boys are really good. I love their roast beef the best. So Freddy's, F-R-A-D-Y. Uh, Rosalita's is a new spot that, in true Bywater fashion, was once in the back of uh, somebody's house that they sold tacos into the driveway, like this tiny little alleyway that they sold tacos through their fence. Now they have their own restaurant awesome. with a beautiful little backyard. Yeah, they have Rosalita's and the Joint both have a really nice backyard outdoors to their seating area. Um, there's uh, Rossial, which is a German beer garden run by a German guy. So I've had people on my tour who were in the military in Germany be like, this is just very German, <laughs> but it's also very New Orleans because you'll go in the middle of the day and somebody, you know, the people be drinking beers and playing like Battleship or cards or just there's sometimes music there. It's very just hang out, drink some liters of beer and have a good time in the sun, sunny afternoon. Um, and then my other kind of don't misses for that neighborhood are a place called the Country Club, which uh, the Country Club. It's called the Country Club, not because it's a bougie, fancy country club attached to a golf course. It is uh, back when you had to have a membership club to run a gay space. Uh, that was that was the gay space. So it used to be clothing optional. It has a pool. Uh, so it's no longer clothing optional, but it's very queer. Uh, it is also very high end, sort of like fancy. So um, you can get dressed up and go to Country Club and have a nice, uh, the boudin balls are delicious. They're a pork jowl made into with rice made. So, so that's what boudin is. It's pork and rice sausage made into a fried ball served with a pepper jelly. That's like one of my favorite dishes there. Um, and then if you want for, I think it's 20 bucks maybe for the whole day to get uh, access to their pool, which is in this like garden oasis. Uh, and you can just hang out at Country Club and you, there's drag shows, I believe on 
Saturdays, uh, yeah, they're not on Sunday. They're on Saturdays, but they're like usually sold out in advance. But you can always find a seat at the bar and watch it. Um, the murals on the wall, it's an old mansion, an old Italian mansion. And the murals are like hand-painted on the wallpaper. It's gorgeous. Um, so it's definitely worth stopping into the country club. Uh, and then Bacchanal, which kind of got really popular and why I started doing tours of the Bywater is there's, um, you know, it's, it, it, it kind of got a lot of blog attention right after Katrina by like, like blog writers that were like, Bacchanal, wine bars, you know, where the girls go. Um, Bacchanal is an old wine shop in a 200 year old building that is very no frills. You walk in, it's this tiny little dark wine shop. You pick the wine that you want. Um, or you can buy it by the glass. There's also cocktails and beer. But basically, when you walk in the wine shop, if you need help picking them out, a wine, don't be intimidated. It's super casual. Just grab a person that works there and say, like, I want to spend 30 bucks, and this is the kind of wine I think I like. I don't like stuff bitter, whatever. Like, just give them any descriptive that they can work with, and they'll point you in the right direction. And then you go and get your own glasses, your own bucket, your own ice, <laughs> and then you're on your own. You're outside on your own. It's very European, and, like, there's no table service. So you can sit there the whole time drinking wine. I like to tell people that should be like their last thing they do in New Orleans together, the last night they spend, because there's usually music there. You can sit and sort of reminisce about your trip and unwind from all the craziness and just have a really nice time together. And also, if you sit at a, you know, eight top, it's all, it's outdoors. It's all outdoors except for um, upstairs. Uh, outdoors watching the music, if you're sitting at an eight top table and there's only two of you, somebody else is going to join, people are going to join you. And so you're going to get to know people. They're going to, you're going to, next thing you know, they're sharing their wine with you. You're sharing your cheese with them. Like it's a really nice, like chill last night in New Orleans for people. So it's Bacchanal, which is a, a B-A-C-C-H-A-N-A-L, um, wine bar. It's, like I said, pretty well known, um, in that neighborhood. Uh, but yeah, yeah, just, just check them out. It's, it's definitely something that's memorable and it's sort of, it's hard to describe the atmosphere you have to just experience. It's like going to outdoor, like a little backyard party. That's, that's my, <laughs> my plug for Bywater. <laughs> that place sounds awesome. I, I would yeah. love to hang out there for an afternoon. Um, Michelle, the last, the last thing I'd like to talk about is about Italians in New Orleans because I have a special soft spot for Italian-Americans. My girlfriend's an Italian-American. And we've probably spent more time in Italy than any other uh, European country except Portugal, obviously. Um, And when I first started going to New Orleans, I was really, I guess, kind of surprised when I found out that New Orleans was the first port that Italians came to when they came to America. It wasn't Philadelphia. It wasn't Boston. It wasn't New York. They first came decades before to New Orleans. Um, Talk about the Italians in New Orleans and their cultural and culinary influence there. Sure. Yeah. The um, the Italians showed up in the 1880s. uh, And we have the second largest Sicilian population outside of New York. So uh, people don't think, you know, the French get a lot of credit with New Orleans and then followed Bali by the Spanish. Uh, but then the Italians kind of get forgotten about. And it's the Italians, the Germans, the Irish, um, the, you know, all these folks that built this. And now it's the Vietnamese uh, was in the 60s. We had an uh, influx of Vietnamese after the Vietnam War. And then now after Katrina, it's been a lot of um, Honduran uh, people who came, Hondurans and Nicaraguans came and rebuilt the city. Uh, and Guatemalans came and rebuilt the city after Katrina, and that's kind of our new immigration wave. So New Orleans is always, like any major port city, always changing, always growing, but people forget 
about like the Italians in that mix. And, uh, you know, we, we had a uh, part of the French Quarter they called the Little Palermo. Um, one of the, the largest mass lynching in American history was actually the Italians that were killed um, in response to a police chief getting shot uh, in New Orleans. So the police chief, Hennessy, gets shot and race, a lot of racism. They faced a lot of racism. So what happened was then they went, the police went out and rounded up like 100 Italians that they had problems with. And then I think maybe 20, I think 20 something of them went to, to, to trial. And then they were found innocent. And the, the day that it happened in the newspaper, it said, come to city, uh, come to the courthouse and let's get justice. And so this mob shows up at the courthouse and some of them flee. Some of the Italians flee out the back door, but 11 of them get, um, uh, lynched in the, in front of the courthouse, um, including children. Some of them were young. Some of them were, you know, quote unquote, feeble of mind is how they were described at the time. So it was just a really, like a really dark, uh, part of American history. So in response to that, I think it's President Harrison establishes Columbus Day <laughs> as a way to, so this is how Columbus Day comes to be. Uh, there's a really tense relationship between Italia, Italy and America because of this incident. Um, the Italian ambassador flees New Orleans. So it's really tense. And so uh, Harrison establishes Columbus Day has a solution of like, look at the Italian contribution to what we are to America. Um, so that is uh, a weird part of American history or Louisiana history that people don't know a lot about. Um, and then, you know, it goes on. We, there's so many Italians here that our culture just kind of absorbed Italian culture. So we do St. Joseph's Day altars, which I always thought was completely a normal part of Catholic society and then moved away from New Orleans and realized that a lot of people don't do St. Joseph's Day. Right, um, right. And then, yeah, I was like, what, what do you mean you don't have St. Joseph's Day altars and the bean, the fava bean and the bear, you know, we bury uh, St. Do, uh, St. Joseph's upside down in the front yard to sell our house. Like we do a lot of these right. sort of uh, <laughs> traditions. Um, but yeah, so uh, food wise, there's the muffalata, which everybody knows about. But the muffalata is basically a response for Italians who had come over and, you know, discovered the American Protestant work ethic where you don't really get a lunch break. Um, to unfold your handkerchief of sausage and olives and cheese and bread. Uh, and so they basically make the muffalata sandwich in a response to the Italian working class, uh, working forces needing a quick, easy lunch of familiar food to them. So the muffalata is named after the Italian word for mushroom. And then it's this giant seeded loaf that then gets uh, a bunch of cured meats and Italian cheese and then olive salad, all sort of compressed into a sandwich that then makes it portable and a portable Italian like plowman's lunch. Um, I just watched Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. They just filmed in New Orleans this, uh, this season and they make a muffalata on it and he put, he put parsley in it, <laughs> which I know probably made a lot of people cringe, but it sounds delicious. But, um, so yeah, so the muffalata, I like them heated up. I never had them heated up until recently as an adult and I was like, oh my God, what have I been doing this whole time? Um, Central Grocery, where they're known for, is actually the grocery is closed, but they believe they're selling them next door at the out of the market. So if you come to New Orleans in the next couple of uh, months of 2023, you're probably just going to buy a muffalata next door to Central Grocery because it's being renovated after Hurricane Ida still. Um, there's also the Napoleon House in the French Quarter is well known for muffaladas. Um, but if you can get your hands on the bread, that's the, that's the, that's the secret. <laughs> and And of course, the Italian, the olive salad. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, our food at, that we cook at home has a lot of like Italian influence. Uh, one of the things I love at Joey K's is the, um, eggplant Napoleon, which is fried eggplant with a crawfish cream sauce and fried golf shrimp. 
that like kind of emphasize, kind of balances this Italian contribution to our food. It, they also have a really good red gravy, which is what we call red sauce. Um, but it kind of, the Joey Case is like a very classically Creole Italian combination of food in New Orleans that we cook and eat at home. It just, it's, you know, it, our Italian food just kind of has seeped into so much of our culture in general that you don't have to go to an Italian restaurant to experience it. It's part of our culture very, very much so. So, um, and then also while you're here, if you can see Lena Prima, who's Louis Prima's daughter, uh, she sings. Uh, so some, you can see some, uh, some historic New Orleans classic Italian uh, music. <laughs> if you can catch Lena Prima in concert. <laughs> I saw her sing at the carousel. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. And it was just on, it was just on a whim, you know, it was just yeah. like, it, I think she plays every week at the carousel. <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. And glad to hear that you're on team gravy because that's always a dispute. <laughs> Is it gravy? gravy. Is it sauce? You know, (laughs) so, so if you're in New Orleans, it's team gravy. And the other is, um, when you talked about, uh, putting St. Anthony upside down in your front, burying him upside down in your front yard to sell your house, that sounded very familiar to me from when we lived in uh, Rhode Island, which is also has a heavy Italian American influence. St. Joseph, I think, because St. Anthony is when you lose stuff and I lose stuff a lot. So I know that one. (laughs) Okay. All right. I think it's St. Joseph you bury upside. But yeah, uh, it's a lot of people from the East Coast that take my tour know about that. They know about yeah. me. And they know about the Feast of the Seven Fishes. That it's, now, we don't call it the Feast of the Seven Fishes necessarily in New Orleans uh, because the seafood is such a part of our holiday feast anyways. But we eat a lot of seafood at, at Christmas and at Thanksgiving. There's something on St. Joseph's Day called Super Sunday, which is not Super Bowl Sunday. It is Super Sunday is a, a celebration by the Mardi Gras Indians. Uh, which it is the last day they are allowed to show their suits, which they sewed the year before. And I know you went to Backstreet Museum when you were in New Orleans, right? I did. I love that place. Yeah. That He passed away, but they continued and re- restaged the museum in a, uh, another place. Uh, so that museum is still there. It's also a very cool museum. Um, Backstreet Museum. Jam Nola is another really cool um, sort of artist museum to visit. Um, but the Mardi Gras Indians are really this tradition – of uh, beating and feathering and music and history that it's a little, it's, it, you have to kind of do a deep dive to understand the history of it. Um, so I'm not going to go into it now because it can be a whole podcast on its own. And it has been, I'm sure. Uh, the um, Super Sunday is the same. It's supposed to be on St. Joseph's Day. As long as the weather is good, the Indians will gather in Ale Davis Park um, or the Bayou St. John area. And it's, it's, it's a black, it's an African-American Indian tradition. It's a black tradition in New Orleans, and it, it refer, reference, there's some stories about why it's called Mardi Gras Indians. Um, again, I'll let you guys dig into that, but just just Google image search Mardi Gras Indians, and you'll be, in, you'll be like, this is something I have to go to. If you're a visual person, um, the suits are absolutely incredible to see in live action. It's, a, it's got its own sort of codes and traditions that you might not understand if you go to Super Sunday, but just go and like be part of the experience and, and just like roll with it just like let people tell you what things are let ask questions if you can pick up what they're singing because it's a chant and response you can pick up what they're singing sing it uh but just being being part of super sunday is a really cool experience if you happen to be uh in town in new orleans in march and then you had mentioned jazz fest but in case people don't know about french quarter fest that is another amazing time in april to come to new orleans it's right before jazz fest and it's uh the largest free inner city music festival um 
in the, in the country. Uh, it's, it's stages just set up all over the French Quarter and along the riverfront, and everything's free to go see. You don't have to pay to get into anything. Um, and it's Thursday through Sunday, sometime in April it changes. But that's a really – those are like if people are looking at times to come to New Orleans, April for that, March for the St. Joseph Super Sunday, um, and then that gap of Mardi Gras that's between like early Mardi Gras and Mardi Gras weekend. <laughs> oh, great advice. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Michelle from Bon Momentors, thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. Man, you've shared so many great ideas. And before I let you go, give your website so that folks know how to get in touch with you so they can do these tours with you when they come down to your city. For sure. And uh, yeah, this has uh, been an awesome experience to be able to sit with you and talk about this. But this is pretty much the energy you can expect if you come and book a tour with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like it. I like uh, it. <laughs> yeah, I basically just love showing you around the city. And just these are all the questions I get asked by people. So I'm trying to like cram it all into this podcast, knowing the questions that people have. Um, but the website is, I'm just going to phonetically pronounce it. It's Bon Moment Nola. So B-O-N. M-O-M-E-N-T-N-O-L-A. And Bon Moment is French for good time. Uh, there's also Le Bon Ton Roulet, which <laughs> people also know a little bit better. But uh, Bon Moment Nola, uh, it also has a blog on it that is my last tab, and I put a lot of this information on the blog. So as you plan your trip, go to the blog, do some reading. It's also, if you're into New Orleans history, I talk a lot about, I have like the, sec- the history of second lines, uh, a little bit of Mardi Gras Indian history and a little bit of um, uh, social aid and pleasure club history. Uh, I'll also talk about like breweries and weird museums that you should you should go to. So there's a lot of information on the blog for you planning your trip. And then I also have a link to other tour guides and other tour companies that are locally owned and usually uh, either people of color owned or women owned um, smaller tour companies that are not these like big gray line tours that everybody finds very easily on their own. I'm, I'm trying to find give you guys a better experience that supports local business and has a sort of local, uh, uh, local, you know, has one of the local's perspective of our city than uh, some big company. Thanks again, Michelle. Great talking to you. Can't wait to see you in New Orleans. And thank you so much. I appreciate you. Okay, there you go. Is there anyone who knows more about New Orleans than Michelle? I mean, any topic and She's off to the races. So much fun talking to her. If you want to get in touch with Michelle or find out about her tours, I've got a link to her website, as well as all the other places we talked about in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED243. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, it's all about wine. You don't want to miss that. And speaking of wine... I just posted a video about port wine, all the varieties of port, and some of the best places to try it in Porto, Portugal. Get that by clicking on the video tab at DestinationEatDrink.com or going to my YouTube channel at DestinationEatDrink946. I also just posted a story about Portuguese moonshine. Sense a theme here? (laughs) It's made by fermenting a fruit that looks a lot like leche fruit, but... It's not. You can get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. And while you're there, make a small contribution to Destination Eat Drink if you're so inclined. Just click on the Contribute button, and you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who keeps his backup supply of scotch and a statue of St. Joseph buried in the backyard, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. 
I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.